I'm Don Merrill, and I'm talking with Rosemary Gladstar. Ms. Gladstar is the author of the new book, Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide. Ms. Gladstar, welcome. Thank you very much. Ms. Gladstar, I want to start out by asking you, what, what are medicinal herbs exactly? Well, that's a really good question. You know, botanically, medicinal herbs are described as non-herbaceous plants, but um, with, with uh, like non-woody stems. But really, herbalists describe any plant that's useful that can be used um, for health and healing as medicinal. So we include, even mushrooms would be included as medicinal plants, for instance, where really mushrooms botanically are fungi. <laughs> well, how did you get interested in medicinal herbs? Oh, I was like so fortunate. When I was young and growing up, my grandmother lived really close to us, and my grandmother was this amazing woman from Armenia who knew so much about the plants, and and um, she used to tell us when we were growing up, it was her belief in God, because she was a deeply religious woman, and her knowledge of the plants that saved her life, because she was, a, she was actually a, a survivor of the Armenian genocide. And she, I think she felt it was like part of her religious duty to not only teach us about God, but about the plants as well. And she would take us all out into the, all my brothers and sisters. My, I was from a family of five kids, and we would go out into the gardens, and, you know, she'd be weeding, and... Um, but as she was weeding, she would tell us about how these plants had helped heal her and how she'd fed her family with them. And, you know, and so she was teaching us as in really the traditional ways that people used to just pass this knowledge down for literally centuries. And I just ate it up. I was like, you know, I think I had green blood in me or something. I was so interested. And, and so I've been doing it really ever since. I, I opened up my first herb store. I grew up in Northern California, Dawn. I don't know if you know that, but... Um, I opened up my first herb store there in 1972 in a little town called Guerneville and then uh, opened up, and it's still there in Sebastopol, actually, on the main street of Sebastopol, and, and then I opened up an herb school because I wanted to learn more, and there weren't any schools available, and I just kind of took it and ran, yeah. Is, is having an interest in medicinal herbs the same as someone who is knowledgeable in herbal medicine? Well, definitely it is, but there's different levels, you know, like if if a person is studying professionally to be a clinical herbalist or like doctors and nurses often will study medicinal plants so they can incorporate them into their practice. So that's what we call clinical practice where you're being a professional healer. But herbalists also can be home health care providers. You know, they can be home herbalists where you're just practicing, you know, using plants on your family for health and healing. And really that's the power of herbal medicine. It was always a people's medicine. And it, so it can be used for... Um, you know, really serious health situations, it, it can be and is used for that. It's really ideal for those everyday health situations, the bumps and bruises of life that people have often. You know, it could be upset stomachs or a cold coming on, a, you know, conjunctivitis, a rash on the skin. Then using these, um, you know, non-invasive, safe, uh, effective remedies is smarter than using pharmaceuticals, for instance. They can be just as effective, but they don't have any of the side effects, and often um, none of the e eco none of the ecological damage also that some of the pharmaceuticals might have. Ms. Gladstar, I want to ask you what what made you decide to write a book about herbal medicine? <laughs> well, I I've written many books. My first herb book I wrote in 1993, and I wrote that book at a time when there weren't as nearly as many books out, and it was a book on herbal healing because a lot of my practice and my my personal work had to do with working with women in our community, where I grew up in Sonoma County. And I felt like a, I had seen herbs working a lot for situations that weren't being dealt with in some of the newer books that were coming out. So I just wanted to write a book to give a better view of how these plants could be helpful for people. 
this latest book, my newest book, Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide, is I wrote because there's um, a huge number of people that are expressing interest in learning about herbs, but they're confused with all the knowledge and information and material that's out there. Are herbs safe? Are they not? Can I use them? Are they effective for this and that? Can I use them with drugs? And so, and those are important questions, and I just wanted to have a book that could address them, just those questions soundly and simply. Because again, as I said, er, you know, I, herbalism is a, it's a very safe and practical system of healing. It's also very ancient. It, a lot of what we know about plants has, is coming from, you know, thousands of years of use and being used around the world. It's actually um, one of the universal things that we share as humanity is the use of plants in every culture of the world. They have a rich herbal tradition and have been practicing these traditions for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, you know, I, I want to ask you about that. Now, it, it amazes me that people figured out what kind of plant had what effect on this part of the body versus that part of the body. <laughs> and, I, and I'm guessing a lot of people got sick and died figuring that out. When did humanity start trying out different plants and how long did it take them, us to figure out which plants were beneficial and which plants were dangerous? Well, you know, there's a lot of theories on that. I mean, nobody totally knows for sure. I mean, we, we can read back in ancient literature. You can read in the Bible they were using plants then. And, and there's actually a few systems of healing. One is the traditional Chinese medicine and also Ayurvedic medicine that have 5,000 years of written history of using plants. But people were using plants before then, and actually, um, you know, plant people have really actually evolved with plants, quite honestly, like the food that we eat, whether we eat meat or plant-based food all originates with the plants because the meat that we're eating is eating plants. The clothing, all the original clothing that people wore came from either animals or plants. Um, Our original medicine was all from plants. And then, of course, the air that we breathe also, you know, the, the plants actually create the oxygen. They transfer the carbon dioxide that they get from the air and transform that into air for us so that we're able to breathe the safe air. So we've actually evolved in relationship to plants. But, you know, as far as that question about when did people first start using plants, we know at least, at least 5,000 years there's written history. But we also show that in the, there was a mummy that was found, I think, frozen in uh, Switzerland or the Swiss Alps, and it was uh, carbon dated to be like 60,000 years old. And in the medicine bag and also in the stomach of that mummy were uh, medicinal plants. And all of those plants we know today, like yarrow was one of those plants, I forget, Yarrow for sure was one, and then all the others. There were nine plants that were identified as medicinal plants, and all of those plants are still in our Materia Medica today. Um, But I just also want to say that, you know, it may not have only been by trial and error that people learned about plant medicine, like, you know, because there are infinite combinations and infinite plants, and, and so there might have been a different technique that people used, and that's that innate knowing um, there's a lot of people that believe that, you know, people learned some of what they learned about plants through plant-spirit communication, that other species can have, inter, you know, interspecies communication. And truthfully, as far as, it, as that sounds, there's scientific research that's beginning to validate that. I personally believe that. I believe that we learn some through trial and error, but I think more than that we learn through relationship with you mean the like, plants. Like watching, like watching how certain plants have maybe affected animals or something? Yeah, like that, like that, but also even on a deeper level that, you know how sometimes you just sense things, you kind of know things, and then you try them because you sense they're right, and then you try them, so there's um, kind of a co-creative relationship happening 
um, an inner kind of communication. Am I making sense? It seems like you're implying that there is a very intuitive uh, relationship between humans and and the plants on on Earth and. I mean, I don't know uh, herbal medicines and, and herbal remedies like you do, but if I was someone who didn't know anything about a plant and I started eating a plant, I don't know. I'd want to rely on more than an intuition. <laughs> Don, so one of the big differences, and of course we would say today, um, because we're so disconnected from the natural world, but when you look back thousands and thousands of years ago, people lived in the natural world. So, you know, just for an example... Um, today, like, you know, little tiny children, young children, <laughs> they just have a knowledge. They pick up a cell phone, and yes, they've watched their parents, but they could just use that stuff. Where for me, in my late 70s, it's a more challenge to learn how to use those things. And it's like if you're out in nature all the time, if, you, if that's your passion and your love, or as we look in our ancestors, they didn't have a choice. They were stuck in nature. So that's what they observed. They were observing nature all the time, and they had a much deeper understanding of it than we do today, um, unless you happen to be um, in nature all the time. And so we do have these innate knowings. But I do absolutely agree with you that we have a huge body of information today available to us, and it's been distilled down through the ages. So you, you have the opportunity to study and research and learn and base it on past mistakes and errors that our ancestors made. But I am implying, yes, that I think that people did learn about plants, yes, through trial and error, but but also I think through a more innate knowing. Okay, well, let me let me let's let's move on because I have some other questions I want to ask you. Great. What about using plants in medicine versus the medicinal value they have in their raw form? So there are a lot of plants that were used. Some of the more powerful plants, like um, opium poppy, for instance, and uh, yohimbi. There's a number of plants that golden seal is another one that that have very strong alkaloids, constituents that are very potent in the plant. Well, wait, and, let, me, let me finish asking the question. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. D- do you think that modern chemistry subtracts from a plant's natural ability to heal uh, the human body, or do you think that, that, that pharmaceutical formulations add value? Well, I think, it, I think it's yes to both of those. I think it really depends. Like, there are times when we need those pharmaceutical uh, drugs because of life-threatening situations. Um, and, there's, and the plants couldn't even come close to that, actually. So there's a place for all of it. And absolutely, um, there's times, I think, when, um, those, when those plant extracts are extracted and made into drugs, that they are really powerful in that way. So, um, but there are also lots of times when the whole plant material is what's needed um, and that they work as well or even better because they don't have the side effects that all of our modern drugs have. Um, and so, you know, like, again, as I mentioned, for all the home health situations, you don't really need, generally, you don't need the strong pharmaceuticals. Your body's going to respond better to these safer plants, and usually just as effectively. You know, I want to ask you um, about some of the accusations that have been made against herbal supplements. Uh, you know, some people accuse them of not being what they seem. I know three years ago, GNC and Target and Walmart and Walgreens, all of them were accused of selling what they called adulterated herbals. How can an herbal supplement be adulterated? What does that mean? Yeah, and that happened a lot, I want to mention, to, to products that were being imported in this country, um, where we don't have the same regulations. We, we're not able to, to be as mindful, oftentimes, of those products, especially some of the uh, patented medicines that were coming in from China. We just don't have, even though the FDA does its best to try to protect us, or at least we're led to believe that, um, 
they don't they don't have the same regulation, so it's difficult. Um, and so what what they mean by being adulterated is sometimes some of those products may have other herbs in them. They may not even really have the herb that they say that they are, because they have no way of identifying what the plant are is supposedly. But I would say that most of the products that are produced by the herbal companies in this country have incredible ethics and they have really high standards and they do a lot of laboratory testing that's highly scientific to identify the plant material going into the products. And so a lot of it is, you know, really determining the companies that you buy from. And I'm not sure if it's the same in the pharmaceutical industry, but I'm sure that quality control is a big issue in the pharmaceutical industry as well. Um, In fact, I... Sometimes I think if they use the same, if they use the same criteria for judging pharmaceuticals as they use for drug, judging herbal products, there wouldn't be any pharmaceuticals available. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a different standard that's used for both. Mm-hmm. So the way that I caution people to be careful about what they're using is really recommending high-quality products that are ideally made in the United States so we have a lot more control over who's growing the plant, how the plant's being grown. We have high standards on growing plants in this country. A lot of the plants that are being produced for medicinal products are coming from organically cultivated. And we have farmers out there that are doing their very best to make these high-quality herbal products because they really care about health care. You know, there was a report that was published by um, a group called Global Industries Analysts in 2011, and they said that the global herbal supplements and remedies market is going to be worth $100 billion this year. With that kind of money, do you think the herbal supplement market needs to be better regulated? Oh, well, <clears throat> that's such a big question because, yes, to that question I'd say yes. When you start looking at the massive amounts of money that are being poured into supplements, so then you, that's where those issues start to rise because just because of the financial gain that people see, companies like Walmart and um, GMC and other companies that had no interest in herbalism at all will become interested, and it has to do with money, not with quality. Um, and so, yes, there does need to be more regulation. However, regulation can often hurt the very companies that are putting out the very best products. And so I will stand up for the local farmers and the small herbal uh, companies that are trying their very best. Um, and it's, they try their best not just because of the regulations, it's because they care about the products that they're making, and those companies will not be able to meet the government standards. And in fact, that's already happening. There was a there was a law passed just a, just a few years ago called the GMPs, the Good Medicine Practices. Of course, that sounds really good, and everybody wants to apply to them, and they are good, but they require so much paperwork and so much money that all of the small or mid-sized businesses can't really adhere to those rules. So. Just like in the 1950s, I don't know if you were around in the 1950s, but I grew up on a small dairy farm in the 1950s with dairy farmers who really loved their animals and were, were committed to producing good milk for their communities. And every single one of those companies, were, those small businesses, were forced out of business by government regulations. And guess who got to step in? These huge, enormous dairy industries that treat their cattle terribly and you know, have terrible standards as far as you know, humane standards and quality of product goes. And that very same thing is going to happen to the herbal industry if we don't stand up and, and fight back and say, you know, we don't want that. We want to support. We definitely want to support the small farmers. They're the backbone of every country. You know, they provide the food that really is good food. And you people in Oregon know that, right? And it's the same for the herbal industry. You know, these laws, that um, they are good in the big industry, you know, like in the industry that's not the herbal industry. They're important. 
but not, not to be applied to these small companies that are doing their very best. We need a different set of, of rules that don't require quite the same amount of paperwork and, and, and uh, scientific regulations. You know, you can pay $100,000 per plant to get it tested. We, we had talked earlier about uh, how some of those imports from, from other countries might have supplements that aren't the supplements that they claim to be or, or might have uh, maybe even inert ingredients, I'm guessing, um, that don't have any kind of, of uh, um, yeah. remedy value. But I wanted to ask you now, that same report that I was telling, telling you about from Global Industries Analysts, they said that there's been a shift in the market from single-ingredient formulations to multiple-ingredient-based medications. Does that mean more than one type of supplement is being mixed together? No, no. That means that... Um like in the herbal industry, um, and that's the, that's all that I can address is with the herbs because I don't really know what they're doing in the in the pharmaceuticals. But in the herbs, like oftentimes you buy plants as a single herb, so echinacea. But there's also formulation where you combine one medicinal plant with another medicinal plant because it, it creates a better synergy between those two plants. So you'll often see echinacea combined with golden seal and used as a cold formula, um, and so and that's very ethical. I mean because. You know, herbalists have always mixed plants. You could go back hundreds of years, and herbalists will take, you know, garlic and mix it with horseradish or garlic and onion and horseradish. You know, you just make these fabulous formulas, um, and they actually oftentimes work better than a single plant. Um, and so, again, so long as you're using whole plants and you're presenting your product in the way that it really is and you're using, ideally, for medicine, organically cultivated plants, so you're talking about not only the health of the humans but the health of the soil and the health of the planet, then you're doing a really good thing by these um, formulations. Well, that makes me think of something else. Now, in writing this book, what have you found as, as far as, well, in your, and in your experience, what have you found uh, regarding reactions between different types of, of herbal supplements? I mean, do you have to worry about reactions in the same way that you do with pharmaceuticals? Yeah, generally not. Um, once again, the government really regulates the herbal, the herbal industry, and so every herb that you can buy in a herb store or at the natural food store, even in the you know in a pharmacy, um, because there are pharmacies now that are selling plants, um, those herbs have been deemed safe, and often t- and also because they're a whole plant constituents, what that means is that you don't have the same kind of drug-like reactions that you do where you extract a single constituent from a plant from a plant, um, and so it's not going to have that. What, what I, how best to say, it's not going to have as forceful um, an action or a reaction on the body. So generally, we would say no, that mixing your herbs together um, really doesn't cause a reaction. What it can just do is, you know, be too much for your body. We don't recommend that. We want you to be more thoughtful about when you're mixing your plants. The bigger concern really is mixing herbs with pharmaceuticals because there's not been a lot of research about that, and yet today a lot of people are are, you know, going back to use herbal medicine, they're, they're becoming interested. There's a, definitely a resurgence or a renaissance, as it's often called, and oftentimes these people are on medications. And so there's that concern about um, it's a new thing, it's a new field, mixing herbs with, you know, pharmaceuticals. Is that safe for people? And so that's probably the bigger, the bigger question. I know from your book that uh, people also have the option, you know, talking about their own their own combinations, people have the option of making their own herbal supplements. I mean, I, I sort of equate that to, to cooking at home rather than going out to a restaurant. Well, it's totally true. That's a great analogy because, you know, I, I, as I always like to emphasize, herbalism is a people's medicine. It was, all, it was designed to be used in the home. 
Um, it's been used that way for literally thousands of years. And, and making remedies is, like, really fun and simple and easy and very cost-effective, especially if people are growing their own plants. Now, the good news today is that there are a lot of companies, um, both national and regional, like in your area even, who make, uh, who make herbal products. So you're not forced to make your own. You can go and buy good products at the farmer's market and the health food store. But when I first started practicing herbs in 1970, there weren't hardly any good products available at all. And so that's one of the reasons I really got into making my own and teaching people how to do it. And, and, and that's something I wanted to ask you about. Now, that takes time. I mean, you have to go, you have to get good ingredients. I mean, unless like cooking, you have to get good ingredients. You have to have a good set of pots. You have to have a really good cookbook. Is making your own uh, herbal supplement uh, mixtures at home better than take, taking a chance on something that you might buy in a store? Well, I'm not sure that it's necessarily better. It's, you use that equation again of like, it's like the difference of eating out and eating at home. You're probably always a little bit better assured, even if, you, if you're eating at home and you're aware of what you're cooking, and even more so if you grow your food, right? Even at the best restaurants, you don't really know exactly what shortcuts they have to take or whatever. You're just going to trust the cook. Um, so, um, you know, I'd say yes in most situations, but there are really good companies that are making really good products. So, again, it's knowing your companies and knowing who you're buying from. But nothing is, I think that nothing is so empowering is the sense that you can make all of those, you know, common household uh, remedies yourself. Like, you can make your own syrups. You can make your own tinctures. You can make your own tablets and pills and, and cough drops. And, you know, and it's really, as I said, it's fun. It's, and it, it's really not any more complicated than making a salad dressing sometimes or making a pot of soup and not even as complicated as, say, making chocolate chip cookies. It's very simple. Well, right. But, you know, but one of the things about making your own medicinal remedies, I mean, I would think, is is how do you know what the proper dosage is? I mean, the store-bought stuff, at least they have identified strength levels. If if you make your own, how do you know what those should be? Well, let's just go back there for a minute and question the dosages. They give you general dosages for certain, but, you know, like every, what they call a normal adult, you know, I'm a normal adult, and I weigh about 115 pounds, and I don't know what you weigh, but your, your normal range is going to be different, and everybody has a different sensitivity level. So those dosages that are given to you on those bottles are just general, just so you know, and that's why that may be part of the reason why you see so many reactions. People follow those dosages, and it may not always be the best dosage for them. And it's the same with herbal remedies. We give suggested dosages, but we're also trying, and you have a better safety a very much better safety net with the herbs because, again, they're whole plants. They're not going to have the same action or reaction as the drugs do. But we do give dosages, and they're given for all the formulas um, in the book. Um, and if we had the time, I'd be happy to give you those dosages, you know, what we consider a general adult dosage for a tincture, a salve, um, a syrup, etc. Your book outlines 24 herbs and 9 herbs and spices that you call popular despite advances in, in allopathic or, or what's known as conventional medicine. Do most people who, who take herbs tend to take that base of 33, or have you noticed that uh, most people rely on like a smaller set that's a staple for them? Yeah. Well, first of all, if I might just say, Don, is that it's not a matter of, of taking one or the other, like a herb or a pharmaceutical. They both have their place in holistic, in holistic medicine. You know, there's times when taking that pharmaceutical might be the absolute smartest thing to do. And there are times when I would say that it's the smartest thing. So it's not like either or. It's just knowing when it's best um, to take a home remedy versus taking something that you get from your pharmacy. 
Um, and so, um, and then what was the question? I got a little straight there. That's okay. I mean, uh, l- let me rephrase it another way. I mean, okay. I think of um, I think of echinacea. I think of um, ginkgo. I think of um, garlic. And, you know, if I'm looking to improve my memory or if I'm looking to ward off colds and flu, um, you know, I mean, I would think, okay, these are the ones I'm most interested in. But but your book has a lot of, of really interesting herbal remedies that people have used in combination for, you know, centuries. So do you find that people tend to, when they take herbal supplements, they tend to take the range of the ones that you've identified, or do you find that they tend to narrow down on, on just a few that, that okay. they feel are most beneficial to them? Great question. Yeah, hopefully they narrow them down. I give lots of ideas and suggestions just so people have choices. You know, when you have a flu, you're not going to take all 30 of the remedies that I might have suggested in that book. You're going to choose the things that you have available that you feel best about, maybe that you already have a little bit of knowledge about, like just what you were saying. You but know? I, I got to tell you, I mean, I've, I've been into some of these stores like Target and Walmart and see people's shopping carts just loaded up with every kind of supplement yeah, that you can imagine. Very. Yeah, it's, it's actually frightening. You know, people are um, they're, they're trying right now to take their own health care back into their hands, which I absolutely advocate for. I think like religion, health care should be a personal choice and a personal decision, and we don't need the government to tell us what or how we should do with our bodies. I think education is the very prime, the prime thing that we need to, to do about health care. Um, but on the other hand, because people are so disassociated with our health care system, you know, they, when they hear something that's good for the brain, they're going to take all 30 things that are listed. And really, it's not meant to be that way. It's that struggle to try to gain knowledge right now when we're so far behind. Our herbal background and our, our knowledge of natural health was pretty much stymied in the 1940s when herbalism went deeply underground in this country and was really made illegal and people weren't really even allowed the choice of using plant medicine. And that has to change. I mean, I really feel very strongly I'm an advocate for health freedom rights. And I feel that as as adults, uh, and especially as American citizens, we should have the right to choose. But partly what we're seeing is this lack of education. In most other countries, like if you travel to European countries, which are very have a very sophisticated form of allopathic medicine, and also have never been disassociated from their herbal medicine, you go into any pharmacy and you're going to find herbs, homeopathy, and pharmaceuticals and flower essences, and you have a choice. And you have pharmacists, nurses, herbalists, doctors who are there who help you make the right choice. Unfortunately, we don't have that in our country, and so our holistic spectrum of what's available to us for healthcare is very lacking. We've only got time for a couple more questions. Let me ask you this. Now, I, I visited the website for the American Herbalist Guild and noticed that some of the upcoming events included things like directional energetics, aromatherapy, and chakra, and energy healing. Now, have New Age therapies always also been associated with herbal medicine? Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> I think when we think of herbal medicine, we think of natural medicine, and um, and so those those are different aspects of it. I mean, energy healing... Um, is definitely different than herbal medicine. Herbal medicine kind of, I think herbal medicine is very eclectic and it embraces these different systems of healing, including allopathic medicine, by the way. Um, It all fits in that holistic spectrum. And so, you know, if you go to one of the conferences offered by the American Herbalist Guild, which is a marvelous association, you're going to find different different, um, ways of practicing herbs and and you will find some of these energetics, um, energetic classes happening as well. You also find classes that are on, you know, uh, safe uses of, you know, working classes that doctors might be teaching who are using um, plant medicine along with their regular medicine. So 
it's much more eclectic, uh, certainly in these days, than it used to be. And I think that's a really good thing. Well, Ms. Gladstar, we're just about out of time. I wanted to tell you, I really appreciate you writing this book because this is this is something that I, I have always been interested in. Um, and I think that, uh, like you said, people are so interested in trying to get their health back into their own hands. So I really appreciate you taking the time to write this book and, and especially taking the time to talk to me. Thank you very much. Thank you, Don, and thank you for your really good questions. Those were some right-on, point-on questions. I appreciated it. I'm Don Merrill, and I've been talking with Rosemary Gladstar. Ms. Gladstar is the author of the new book, Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide. Ms. Gladstar, again, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day.